Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. The Weary World Rejoices is a line from O Holy Night, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Last week I ran across some uh, history on this Christmas classic. It began as a French poem in 1847 and was set to music and years later was rewritten in English. And on Christmas Eve in 1906, radio operators on ships were shocked to hear something no one had ever heard over the radio before. That was a human voice. And Reginald Fessenden spoke the first words ever broadcast over the radio airwaves. He opened up Luke chapter 2 and read the account of the birth of Jesus. Then he picked up his violin and played the first song ever broadcast over radio airwaves, O Holy Night. And if you translate the original French poem directly into English, so not the rewritten English version to work with the song, But if you just did a word-for-word translation of O Holy Night, here's what it reads. Midnight, Christians, is the solemn hour when God as man descended onto us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of his Father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a Savior. People, kneel down, await your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. May the ardent light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of the infant, as in ancient times a brilliant star guided the oriental kings there. The King of kings, born in a humble manger, O mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness, it is to your pride that God preaches. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. The Redeemer has broken every bond. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those whom iron had chained. Who will tell him of our gratitude? For all of us he is born. He suffers and dies. People, stand up. Sing of your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, sing of the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, sing of the Redeemer. You know, Christ has been through this before. Jesus has been down this road before. In fact, when you think of it, his times were full of crisis, just as ours. In fact, when the baby Jesus broke onto the human stage in Bethlehem, the political climate in Rome was deep, it was treacherous, Caesar Augustus was demanding a census, and Herod the Great was on a rampage of fury. It was no accident that Jesus arrived when he did. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth a son. What he meant was Jesus arrived right on time. And ultimately, Later, Jesus died on the cross, right on time. But then later, he walked out of that tomb right on time. And God has appointed us to declare the truth about Jesus for this time, and Jesus will come back again right on time. And that's what our focus for next week, for our Christmas weekend, 
Uh, Next weekend, we'll talk about what it was like when Jesus came the first time and compare that with how it will be when Jesus comes back and how the entire world will see and be amazed. I'm pretty excited about it. In your worship guide and at the info table, you'll find an invitation to uh, our five Christmas weekend services and our Christmas Eve at-home service. Next weekend, we're gonna offer one more service time and opportunity on Sunday morning. So we'll have services on Sunday at 9, 10, 15, and 11.30. And Saturday night, our regular 5 and 6.30. We'll have Rockbrook for Kids at all the services except the 6.30. If you uh, serve in Rockbrook for Kids, you might consider helping us out this uh, day. We're trying to uh, spread people out a little bit more and make room uh, for as many people that wanna hear uh, this message. In the East Auditorium, we're gonna have an overflow seating. Uh, So we're just gonna uh, send the video of what's happening in here over there. So if a service fills up a little bit more or you just wanna spread out a bit, uh, you can go enjoy the service there. And we're gonna stream all five service times uh, live to uh, the people watching from home. Then we won't have in-person Christmas Eve services uh, this year. We're going to offer an at-home Christmas service. We've actually already recorded it and it's uh, really coming together and uh, I'm excited to tell you more about it next week. It's gonna be available on Wednesday, December 23rd. It's on demand, so that's just when it becomes available. You can watch it Wednesday night, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Uh, Watch it as many times as you want. We'll leave it up there all week. Uh, You can use this invite in a couple of different ways. You could use it as a reminder for yourself or you could give it to someone else, inviting them to join you for church. This QR code, if you just open up the camera on your phone, it will take you uh, to a digital invitation. You could text someone, email someone or put it on social media and they could watch along with you or come to church with you. And uh, I've asked uh, Tom just to remind everybody of this quickly in the announcements too so no one misses it today. It's just amazing to me, though, that this month, in the midst of everything that's happening in our world, the whole world will pause to focus on one event, Christmas. Everything will become secondary for the sake of this holiday. What is so amazing about Christmas? What's so amazing about something that happened 2,000 years ago that it would still be relevant to everything that's happening in 2020? Well, we just spent four weeks in the New Testament book of Philippians, and Pastor Kelly's messages really inspired uh, today's Christmas message. I want to go back to a passage in chapter two and look at what I believe is the greatest explanation in the Bible of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to accomplish, what he came to do. Chapter two, verses five through 11, give us a bedrock, an incredible bedrock of what we believe. And today we're simply going to take this passage, this chunk of scripture, and make it the outline for the sermon today. And it begins in verse five saying that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. What's the big deal about Christmas? Why do we celebrate it every year? What makes it so relevant year after year, regardless of what's happening? Why is the whole world going to pause to recognize it in some way? It's because of this right here. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. God came to earth. God came to earth. It was big news when man landed on the moon and walked there. It's even bigger news that Jesus walked here. Jesus Christ is God himself, and he came to earth. Another translation says he had always been God by nature. Years ago, I had an assignment in seminary on the divinity of Jesus. 
And the professor set it up by having us watch a video of someone who is making the case that Jesus never claims in the Gospels to be God. And his argument was that Jesus was a great man, he was a great teacher, maybe even a great prophet, uh, but he's not God and he never claimed to be. And this guy articulated it so well in some ways that I'd never heard before that honestly, it threw me. Have you ever had that happen where someone gives an argument in a fresh way and you've never really heard a defense to it before and it, it, it throws you? And that happened to me. I thought, good grief, are we just making this up? And I, I, maybe you're not sure what to do immediately when those things happen, but our assignment was to look at the Gospels and write our own conclusion on the deity of Jesus, whether or not he's God, who he claimed to be. So I started reading the Gospels just through that lens. Who is this person and who does he claim to be? And as I read through what I discovered, first of all, is that he fulfills hundreds of biblical prophecies predicting his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Now, come on, I don't know anyone else but God that could predict his own birth. Can you predict your own birth? He says he's gonna die, he's gonna rise again. He predicted that he would come out of the grave and then he did it. Jesus uh, healed people, did impossible things. And I was just struck with the fact that people would bow down and worship him as God and, and he, a good teacher, a good prophet, if they're really a good person, would they let you worship them as God? No, but he did not refuse it. If, if he wasn't really worthy, if he's a good man, he would have refused it. He tells a group of people, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. You get to the gospel of John's, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John's purpose in writing the gospel was to prove conclusively that Jesus is the son of God and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. I kept reading through the gospels with just this in mind. Not for a sermon, not for application, something, nothing other than who is this man and who does he claim to be? And when Jesus was on earth, he'd become very popular with people. But the religious systems and governments did not like him. They wanted him dead. Systems did not like Jesus. And, but because Jesus was popular, they had to arrest him at night. They arrested him at night and they took him through six trials, three religious trials, three Roman trials. None of the trials were legal because it was illegal to have a trial at night. The Jewish trials were illegal. Uh, they broke several laws in the trial because you couldn't hold a trial during a uh, festival time. Uh, the accused was supposed to have representation and you were, not to, you were not to ask the accused incriminating questions. They did that over and over again because they were rushing this thing through. They wanted to persecute, they wanted to prosecute, they wanted to execute Jesus. And after six trials, do you know what they found Jesus guilty of? Nothing. He had not done anything wrong. They'd even paid phony witnesses to come in and put up charges against Jesus, uh, but they, uh, they made up these charges. Do you know what happened? The witnesses contradicted each other and they had to throw out that case. Finally, there's one accusation in all of this that sticks because it was true. This was the accusation. He claims to be God. That was it. And they were right on that one. Jesus claimed to be God. 
So Jesus was sentenced to be killed by crucifixion. He was not killed for being a prophet. He was not killed, uh, persecuted for his teachings. He was crucified for being a blasphemer, king of the Jews they put up on his cross. He died on the cross and then he rose from the dead, proving his claim was right. And over and over and over in the Bible, it repeats this claim that Jesus is God. I put some references there in your notes, uh, but Jesus, his authority, uh, he did not begin in the manger. His existence did not begin in the manger. He existed even before creation. Theologians call this the preeminence of Christ. Colossians 1 describes this beautifully. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. You know, I have a hard time relating to an invisible God. I have a hard time relating to a vague thing in the sky, but when I see Jesus, when I think of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, I can relate to him, I can relate to that. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. If Jesus was God, really God, and God came to earth, then Christmas and Easter are the most important, the most relevant events in any year of human history. We get to verse seven and it, it says, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. If you're taking notes, uh, this passage points to the fact that God became a man. You might write that down. Now, if you were God and you were going to come to earth, of all the ways you could choose to reveal yourself, would you come as a baby, as a human being? Amplified translation says he became like men and was born a human being. The reality of Christmas was that Jesus Christ uh, was a real man, flesh and blood, bones and hair. He was a real person. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. Uh, it, it's... Someone told me one Christmas, they said, well, it's just a nice story. I said, it's not even a nice story. Like, I don't read it to my kids before bedtime. Like, that's not what it is. But there's been more written and sung about Jesus than any other person. There's been more done in the name of Jesus than done in the name of anything else. And the reality is that God came to earth, God became a man. Why would he? Because God wanted to communicate with people. He wanted to save people, so he became a person. This is what the Bible calls the incarnation, that God came to earth, but he came as a human being, a person like you, like us. How is Jesus like us? He was born like us. He made himself nothing. He came into the world like billions of other babies do, but the whole history of the world rested on this one fragile infant, that must have blown the minds of the angels. What is God doing? No flashy entrance to let the whole world know that he's there. He just comes in the middle of the night in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus did not stop being God when he became man. He was 100% God, 100% man. He was God in human form, born like us, and he grew like us. 
It says he grew in, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He grew and developed and had growth spurts. Uh, he did not parade the fact that he was God while growing up. He was a human being and he grew like us. He looked every inch the carpenter, a Jew from Palestine. He was a real man. This is the reality of Christmas. He was also tempted like us. Hebrews says he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. Jesus experienced the same pressures that you and I do, the same temptations, the same desires, the same drives, the same temptations to lie, to cheat, to steal. He had the same drives, but he never came into them. This is important because he can relate to us when we're struggling with those things. And he suffered like us. He felt pain and disappointment. He got tired, fatigued. He felt lonely. He grieved. He cried. He was human. In Gethsemane, he said, the sorrow is so great it almost crushes me. He knew what it was like to feel pain. He can relate to your pain, your problems, your pressures. He was God, but he became a man. Jesus became what we are so we can become what he is. Jesus became who we are so we can become like him. This passage goes on in verse eight and says, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is point number three. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to die. Jesus didn't stay in a crib. He didn't stay in the manger. He went to a cross and he voluntarily laid his life down for us. Why did he do it? He didn't have to. He was God. He did not have to go to the cross. No one put him there without his permission. Why did he allow himself to go to the cross? Why did he do it? He did it to demonstrate God's love. Romans 5.8 says this clearly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. His motivation was love. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at the cross. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, I know a lot of people that may give their life for their friend or family or child, the people that are very close to them in their life. But the Bible says that God gave his life for us even when we were rejecting him. Before we even knew him, before we were even born, he gave his life for us. That is love. God loves you. Last Monday went down as one of the greatest days of my life. This is our youngest son, Sterling. He's just over a year and a half old. And for the last year and a half, Lauren and I have been telling him uh, that we love him every day, multiple times a day. And after 573 days of saying, I love you, on Monday, he finally said it back. And it's the best response. Yeah, isn't that fun? Because uh, for the last 573 days, there's been days where I've said, I love you, and he said, no. <laughs> or I've said, I love you, and he whacked me across the face. One time I said, I love you. He threw his toy, ran down the hall screaming. But on Monday, he said it back. And friend, there is a cross that stands in history over your life that says, I love you. And God says, this is how much I so love the world 
that I gave, I gave. Why did he do it? To demonstrate God's love. He also did it to pay for my sins. When you break laws, you pay penalties. When you break man's laws, you pay man's penalties. When you break God's law, you break God's penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And it's quoting prophecy here, by his wounds you have been healed. What God did on the cross, can it make a difference in my life today in 2020? Can what God did on the cross make a difference in your life? Is it relevant in your life today? Yes, I can be completely forgiven for everything I've done wrong. Merry Christmas, you're forgiven. The angel said, for unto you this day is born a savior, which is Christ the Lord. What does it mean to be a savior? A a lifeguard at a beach, is taught that when they swim out to a person who is drowning, uh, usually you don't grab hold of them right away. You tread water and wait because early on in that process, uh, they're panicked, their adrenaline is pumping and they're still very strong and they could grab you and pull you down too. And if you grab them immediately, uh, you might get caught in that. You've gotta wait until they are weak. You've got to, when they become limp, when they have given up, you can then pull them back to shore. Here's the point. As long as a person is trying to save themselves, you cannot save them. You cannot save the person in your life who's trying to save themselves. Jesus came in to be the savior of the world. And as long as you think, as long as someone thinks, well, I'm okay, I'm not that bad, Thanks for all that effort, God, but I don't really need it. That's the person who's in the most danger. But salvation is freedom. It's freedom from a meaningless life. It's freedom to know that your eternity is settled. It's freedom to live the way God meant for you to live. In verse nine in our text today, it reveals the result of all of it. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. That's the result of all of it. It's the result of Christmas. It's the point of Christmas. The cross is not the end, he's alive. The Bible says all through scripture that those who humble themselves will be lifted up and those who lift themselves up in pride, they will be humbled. And Jesus is a clear example of that. He humbled himself. And as a result, two things have happened. He's been given the the place of top honor in the universe, in existence. He is honored above all else, the name above all names. He is the highest place. And two, he's been given a new name. The name Jesus in the New Testament was a very common name. It wasn't unusual, it's like John or Jim today. Jesus means salvation is of the Lord, uh, but they had to distinguish it when they talk about it. That's why he's Jesus of Nazareth. What Jesus are you speaking about? Jesus of Nazareth. Even when he was born, he was given many names. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting father, the prince of peace. But what is the name he has been given now as a result of coming to earth, humbling himself, going to the cross, demonstrating his love, paying for sins? What is his name now? It's Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord in the Greek is a word that means master, ruler, sovereign, king. It means in control. Over 600 times in the New Testament, the Bible calls Jesus Lord. Lord in the New Testament times was a word that was reserved. It was used for Caesar. It was used in the Roman Empire because the emperor was treated as God. And they worshiped Caesar as God. And the Romans would say, Caesar is Lord. It became a test of allegiance, a test of loyalty in the Roman Empire. And when Christians refused to say that and would only say, Jesus is Lord, they were put to death. They were thrown to lions. They were made to fight gladiators. Many of them lost their lives simply because of one phrase, Jesus is Lord. Can't say Jesus is Lord. It means this. It means, oh, I admit that I need a Savior. The person who realizes he needs a Savior is much more open to receiving a Savior. And if you think you don't need a Savior, uh, that's, that's the problem. That's your problem. If you didn't need a Savior, God would not have wasted all the effort to send one. The very fact that Jesus Christ did come to earth, he did give up the glory of heaven. He became a human being, was born a little baby, grew up, had pains, pressures, temptations, died on the cross, rose again. It means you need what he has to offer. God would not have wasted all of that. So I acknowledge that, uh, that I, I, need, I need a savior, I admit it. And B, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. To say Jesus is Lord, it's a statement of comfort and encouragement. That although everything looks bleak, Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is Lord. And I know that he's in control. And I may not see it. I may not understand what is happening. But I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I recognize the fact that nothing escapes his care or his concern because he is Lord. To say Jesus is Lord, to believe Jesus is who he says he is, is to say, I don't know what the new year holds, but I know who holds the new year. I know who holds my future because Jesus is Lord. And see, I choose. I choose to trust and follow him. I commit all my life to him. He calls the shots because he is God. He's come to earth died for me, rose again because he has done those things. Uh, he has the right to determine what's wrong in my life, what's right in my life, what's good in my life, what's bad in my life. Don't use the word lightly. If Jesus is Lord, he has the right to tell you what to do and you obey. <laughs> if he doesn't rise from the dead, Christmas means nothing. We're not celebrating Christmas without the resurrection. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth, read this with me, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be saved? It means to say, Jesus is my Lord. I admit I need a savior. I believe he is who he says he is, and I'm choosing to trust and follow Jesus. The passage today that we've looked at says one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess 
uh, what God has known for the ages, the truth of all truth, that Jesus is Lord. It will happen. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He'll be given his due honor. All the arrogance in this world that puts itself up against Christ and all the denial, all the pseudo-scientific, psychological, philosophical arguments will all fall by the wayside and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The judgment day, everyone stands there throughout history. Everyone will acknowledge what is true. Jesus is Lord. Every politician will be there. Every scientist, professor, businessman, homemaker, the guy in that video that I watched, everyone will be there and they will kneel down and admit it. Jesus is Lord. It's not an issue of if, it's an issue of when. It's simply when. Will you either admit it now and in love and honor and respect and tell God you love him back or later when you found out you have made a big mistake. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the result of Christmas. And I believe, I believe the greatest need in American Christians is the need to rediscover the phrase used for centuries as a test of, the, of a believer. Jesus is Lord. It may look like the other side is winning right now, but Jesus is Lord. You may think you can't cope anymore, that there's too much pressure, but Jesus is Lord. You may think your problems are too great, you cannot handle them, but Jesus is Lord. Circumstances may pile up against you, people may thwart you, fight you, but Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're discouraged, when you're tired, when you're worried, when you're fearful, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you cannot go another mile. Say it when you're grieving, you don't know why you've lost that loved one, Jesus is Lord. Say it when you're lonely, say it at Christmas, make it the theme of your Christmas, make it the theme of your life. It's what it means to be a believer. Merry Christmas, everybody. Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. The weary world rejoices because Jesus Christ is Lord, maybe uh, you're not rejoicing in that this Christmas. This is your moment to accept God's gift to you. And I'm gonna pray a prayer, and if it kind of expresses the desire of your heart, just follow in and say to God, yes, God, me too. Dear God, I don't wanna let another Christmas pass without accepting your gift to me. And I certainly don't wanna lose sight of the result and the purpose of this Christmas. Thank you for coming to earth so I could know what you're like, that I could know who you are. I'm amazed that you would want a relationship with me, that you would reveal yourself to me. And God, I wanna get to know you. I wanna learn to trust you. And God, I know I've done a lot of things wrong. And so I admit it, I need a savior. I don't need a system. I don't need another set of rules. I don't need another to-do list. I don't need a religion. And God, I believe that that is Jesus, that that is you, Jesus. You are who you say you are. And I'm grateful for your forgiveness and for the life that you bring. And I'm choosing to trust and follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.